Let's get into the magic with your host, Sess and Katie. Welcome to the latest episode of Into the Magic. I am Sess. And I'm Katie. And today we're talking about something that's a little off the spiritual beaten path, but not completely isolated from it. And that is Flying Star Feng Shui, which Katie is certified in. So without further ado, I'm going to pass the reins over to her and she's going to talk about this. Thanks, Katie. Sounds good. Feng Shui is, especially Flying Star Feng Shui is very difficult to, like, you're not going to learn how to do it at the end of this episode. To learn how to do it, you're going to have to get a certification and it's going to take some time. You know, there's still even stuff that I need to learn, of course. But this is essentially just meant to give you like an overview of what it is, maybe some general how to's when we're applying it, and, you know, better understand this sort of like mythical practice. Yeah. So essentially, like Feng Shui is finding ways to bring more harmony and flow into your home, correct? Yes, into your home. Yep. Into your workspace, into these places that we inhabit. Like I think that we forget how much of an influence our environment can have on us. I mean, ideally, yes, like we're centered and we're fine and it doesn't affect us, but that takes a very, very heightened spiritual person to be able to be in that environment and not be affected by it, right? Like we see monks in Tibet who self-immolate, which is, you know, burn themselves in protest of the Chinese occupation. They've been monks for years and years and years, dedicated their entire lives to that level of study. And no wonder they're not reacting. They have a heightened level of doing this. But if we can create for ourselves a better environment, a beneficial environment, then it's easier for us to connect inwardly. I'm sure we've all been in a home where the energy is off. There's something strange about it, whether uh, it's the furniture configuration or window treatments or lack of light, or you feel that it's cluttered or there's it's messy. There's just so many things that can cause the energy and the chi of a home to feel off. Right. Or it's dark, like there's just this darkness or this like, like you're saying stagnant, like there's no flow. It's just like stagnant. Yeah, you can feel it for sure. And you can certainly feel when something feels good. Absolutely. You know, you're like, oh, I like this space. Sometimes you can't put your finger on why something feels so good, but there's a method behind that. I mean, yes. So we'll start and Seth brought this up too prior to us recording, but there is a practice called Black Hat Feng Shui which is not what I'm going to be talking about. Black hat feng shui is like a grid um, of like nine different blocks. And what you do is you apply this square, like Rubik's cube looking square on top of a floor plan and you orientate it to the front door and ta-da, you know where your money corner is, you know where your luck corner is, where your love corner is, put a plant here and ta-da, you've got it. Now like that um, one that's, The man who created Black Hat Feng Shui, um, Yun, Thomas Lin Yun, Master Thomas Lin Yun, he died in 2010. So it's not an ancient, it's not like Flying Star Feng Shui, which is literally was the originating Feng Shui. You know, he, he died in 2010 and he basically came to the US and did it as I was taught because it was a, a better application for Westerners because Westerners aren't the best at uh, direction. So guilty as guilty, charged, right? Because, <laughs> because flying star requires, it has 24 different directions in it. So, I mean, North, South, East, West, Northwest, 
and then three sectors within each of those sections. So so they really dumped it down for us. <laughs> yeah, they really dumped it down for us. Just like, you know, all ancient Chinese tasks, especially the language, you know, like classical Chinese language, super simple to read and understand. Oh, yeah, for sure. 100%. Yeah, like easy. <laughs> like even mainland people in mainland China, it's they're not taught to read classical Mandarin. Like in Singapore and Taiwan, it's classical, but in mainland China, it's simplified. So some of the ancient texts there can't be read because it's in classical. That happened during Mao, during the communist revolution there. He got rid of a lot of those ancient practices because they were considered like upper class practices. So you're not really allowed to practice feng shui in mainland China, although we did analyses of buildings in mainland China for my uh, certification. And they most certainly use feng shui like the government does, but you're not really allowed to use it there, which is kind of like standard. Like I lived in China for a year and that's sort of like the standard feel there is there's like, you're not really supposed to do this thing, but like you can still do this thing. You know, like when I went to Tibet, you're not supposed to go to Tibet. And then you, when you go to Tibet, you have to have a guide and it has to be a Tibetan guide that's approved by the Chinese government. And then if you're getting your visa, which you have to have a Chinese visa to go to Tibet, you cannot, when you're applying for it, like the company that I'm the, the guided company that I went to Tibet for gave me a fake itinerary that said we went all the way around Tibet, not in Tibet to get my visa. And then we ended up going to Tibet. So like, that's kind of, that's kind of how it's done. You know what I mean? Like, that's just kind of how it's done. So Flying Star Feng Shui started basically as a burial practice. It was people were trying to find the best auspicious burial spot for their loved ones, because there's this belief that you bring luck generationally, ancestrally. If they are buried in an auspicious spot, then that brings luck into that family. They would look for those areas. Now, feng shui, feng shui basically means like feng is water or is wind. Feng is wind and um, shui is water. So like you're basically like it goes, the energy of the dragon will be dispersed by wind, feng, and will stop at the boundary of water, shui. So it uses these elements and there's, there's an idea that energy comes down from the mountain, like the dragon, right? Down from the mountain. And it doesn't stay at the mountain. It has to come down and the wind will blow it and collect at the border of water. So like as beautiful as mountain, like homes on mountains are, and there are tons here in Phoenix, it's better to be in the valley for feng shui because that's where the, the energy sort of collects. Does that make sense? Yes. So energy moves down, it can't move up necessarily. So I live in the mountains and some of the most expensive homes like in the entire world are on the side of the ski mountains. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean that those homes have bad feng shui necessarily. But if, so there's, there is flying star, which is like homes and commercial spaces, like spaces that we're inhabiting. And then there's forms feng shui, which is like, you look at the form, the land formations to try and figure out where the best, most auspicious spot is to place your home, right. Or to bury somebody okay. or to do all of that stuff. So feng shui started originally from forms and then expanded into the inhabited homes and spaces type of feng shui. Very, very long ago, this happened, but that's like the originator of that. So yeah, I mean, if you were to, and I mean, honestly, if you're looking at part of it is probably because at one point when this started, it's like, how the hell were these people without the technology that we have today going to build a home in the mountain? Right? Right. So, I mean, 
you take all of this with a grain of salt and see what applies. My theory is like never catastrophize it. Oh, I have bad feng shui or, oh, this is wrong. My house is in the mountains or something like that. Because one, there's no purpose to that. Um, you want to balance it out in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that I like to say is that I do not speak Mandarin. Um, I could argue a little bit when I lived there, uh, like prices and with a cab driver. That was eight years ago. I definitely can't do that today because I haven't practiced. But from what I remember of the language, it's it's a lot more simplified. Like there isn't a lot of fluff around the words. So like when you ask for something, it's like yao bu yao, like want, not want. That's how it's constructed. Like want, not want. That That's like, hey, do you want? Do you want this? Would you like this? Like there's not a lot of fluff around it. So like when you go to acupuncturists that are originally from like a Mandarin speaking, Cantonese speaking place, there's a lot of like liver no good. And you're like, uh, what is, what does that mean? It's like, that's not necessarily what they're meaning, but that is literally how their language translates. So there are certain things that I have adjusted. For example, like if you have certain energies in your home, you want them, uh, traditionally they call it cured. Like you want to cure these energies, but I, that to cure something means that there's something wrong in my opinion. And I just prefer the word balance. Yeah. I love that. So I use balance. Like I'm, we're balancing these energies. Absolutely. For sure. So it's stuff like that, that I've kind of put my own spin on, but it's the core of it is pretty traditional. So basically when you're doing feng shui on a home or a business, you need to know when it was like, you need to know the orientation of it. And for that, you use a compass and that's that thing that can measure up to 24 different degrees. So you figure out which direction and which sex sector within that direction the home or the the building is facing. You also need to know when the when the space was born, which can mean either when it was finished being built or if there was a long period of time between when it was built and when it was inhabited, it's when it was inhabited, right? Because you don't want to, I mean, there's no energy in life and a space without people and movement there. So if the building was built and then we we're in a recession and it was abandoned for three years. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's not when it was born. It was born three years later. Oftentimes that's in the same age. Our years, single years are, are collected into 20 years at a time. And those are different ages. So we cycle through ages one through nine and then back around again. We're currently in the age of eight. That age ends in 2024. So if your eight is representative of earth, um, so are two and five. Two and five are not auspicious numbers. They're not numbers that you want in a home. They're not in that type of energy. That type of earth energy is not something that you want in the space. Okay, so why would that be? Well, five can represent misfortune and two can represent sickness. Oh, okay. And then eight is auspicious right now because we're in the age of eight. So it's highlighted as like, this is the type of energy. We're in this age. This is the type of energy we want to have in our home. Okay. That's going to change soon. So earth in general in 2024, February, will need to be balanced soon. Right now, the two and the five, if they show up as a two and a five in your chart as that type of earth energy, they still need to be balanced. Um, this is what I'm saying. Like, oh, you don't want five misfortune. And it's like, what if that's my favorite number? <laughs> like, what if that's, you know, that's so don't freak out about it. But just these are interesting things to keep in mind. 
Um, actually, and Jen, the master Jen Stone, who taught me, did point out that if you look at certain numbers and stuff in movies, where if like somebody has like it's a scary movie or it's like a, and I think at one time the suicide hotline was like five five five, and now it's changed. It's like nines, which is much better. I, I honestly wonder if somebody like feng shuied it because uh, yeah, it shifted. I'm pretty sure the the hotline shifted, but yeah, there are things like that that just kind of show up like. Oh, that's interesting that that happened on a five or that there are fives and that sort of thing. Or anyway, the ages every 20 years. So 2024 is when it shifts. Then in 2024, we're going to be in the age of nine. So the auspicious numbers will be in 2024, nine and one halfway through at this moment, they're nine, they're eight, nine and one halfway through 20, that 20-year thing. So in 2034, it will then switch to 9, 1, and 2, which is good because 2 is not a great number to have at this moment. So it will soon be auspicious. So it's like, I like Flying Star Feng Shui because it actually incorporates energy because energy is dynamic. Energy isn't static. It's not like that black hat Rubik's cube that you place on something and go, because Ta-da. it's like, yeah. Cause it's like each corner is always going to represent this yeah. specific no matter area what, of your anytime, life. Anytime, any place, no matter what you're going yeah. through, this is what it is. Okay. But what flying star does is goes, okay, well let me see the energy of the house, which is the year it was born, right? The age that it was born in. Let me see the direction. Let me see the direction, which shows what energy is coming in. And then also like you can consider yourself, like what is your qua number? What is your life number? What is your bazi? Like, are you in luck right now? Are you in not in luck? Like what sort of things do you need to bring into your home to help support you during this time in your life? What is a bazi, Katie? So bazi, which I'm not certified in yet. I would love to at some point, but you know, as with most masters in these type of arts, she's decides when she wants to do the certifications and when she doesn't. So, um, which I love because it feels more honest and true to me, but Ba is eight Ba and then Z is character. So it's eight characters and they use, you know, there's the tiger there, the, all the characters represent the years. Like you're like, Oh, I was born in the tiger year. I was born in the, yep. I was born in year of the whatever year. There are all those characters everyone hooks on that their year is super important, but it's more like their day. Oh, okay. Yeah. Their day master kind of shows like who they are internally. All of these characters, either some of them get along or they clash. And so it will show based on what character represents the year and then what your characters are for your lifespan. Interesting. Okay. How you're, how they're going to interact. Do these two like each other or do they have like sort of issues? Are there going to be clashes? It's very similar to astrology when it's like conjuncts, trines, like all of the things like trines are auspicious. Conjuncts can sometimes cause like friction, that sort of stuff. Oppositions, like all of that. It's very similar to that, but it tells more of a story. And it's really interesting because when I did mine with her, there were certain days in my life that I was like, Hey, what what was going on on this day? Like just curious about the day, gave her no other information. And she's like, oh, like the day, December 9th, 2005, the day I got sober, right? The day I went to gatehouse. Yeah. Big day. (laughs) Big day, right? Like not the best day for me, like definitely not the best day in that moment, but in the span of my life, brilliant day. 
Absolutely. And I asked her what that was. And she's like, oh, that was your peach blossom. Like that was like your angels taking over. My luck is on like, everyone has like a cycles of luck. So they'll happen. Mine is every night on the nine. So every time my I end in a nine, then my luck changes to something else. So I didn't have great luck as a kid up until 19. Guess what happened in 19? You got sober. Yeah. I got sober. My whole life shifted. My whole life changed. Yeah. Completely changed. For the better. So it's just, it's really interesting, that sort of stuff. So you can look at somebody. I mean, the quad number is easier to find out. That's something that I can do at this moment. And then it shows you like what type of energy is best for you to like actually sleep and restore it. What type of energy needs to be in the house for your physical human health, as well as your prosperity, like money. But the Bazi will be like, okay, well, you know what? It's actually really important for you at this time to be in a room that's going to support your health. Or you know what? Like, yes, ideally that, but you're going to be okay. You know, like it's that sort of thing where you're combined together. It's really, really powerful. Yeah, that's incredible. There's just like so much to this. I'm trying to give everyone an overview and I hope it's not confusing you or any of these listeners. So as somebody that has only worked with black hat feng shui in terms of, okay, so I have a love corner and I want to bring more love and joy into my life. So I add pairs of items to my love corner. I add rose quartz, amethyst, hearts, loving pictures of me and my partner. Yeah. That type of thing. Yeah. How does that, how do I relate that to flying star feng shui and kind of integrate yeah. more of the inner the energy that you're talking about into different areas of my home representing different areas of my life. Right. Yes, that makes sense. Well, I would argue that that's not even though like that's a sounds like it's good, that's like not a not going to necessarily How do I say this? Okay. So your intention with that sort of thing like is the same when I do manifestations and intentions. It's like I'm manifesting these things in my life, so I'm placing, I'm doing like Okay, yeah. Representative sort of, yeah, things to show this is what I'm welcoming in. I want love. I want money. Like I want to open myself to that. So I love that as a practice. But what feng shui, flying star feng shui does is it like creates this space and it balances it. So like it, if a, if a space is feng shui properly and good, you're going to have a, f- a flourishing nine in yin. Nine is a prosperous number. It's also fire. So um, you're going to have nine in your house and there's mountain and, and water signs. Water is yang because water is really active. Everyone thinks water is chill. Water is really active, like super powerful, very active. And then the mountain is calm. So that's the yin. So we call them water, mountain and water stars. So yin and yang. And Definitely a reoccurring theme on this podcast. If your house is properly feng shui, you're going to have nine in both yin and yang. You're going to have one in both yin and yang. So that's going to bring prosperous money energy into your space, as well as human health and wellness, which can mean your physical health, as well as your relationships and your mental health. So if the whole space is properly feng shui and balanced. And balanced, yeah then those areas of your life will naturally be more prosperous and healthy and healing, correct? Right. Or those areas that aren't in harmony 
are going to be able to be exposed in a space that supports that. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Versus like being in a place that is unbalanced and then you're unbalanced. It's like, how do you find any level of stability? If you have like a calm, balanced space to go to, then when you're going through the stuff you're going through, you're supported because you have this place to like go home to. Does that make sense? Safe and supported in your home. Which feels more true to me because I use other practices to call in and manifest those things. But like for me, this type of feng shui is very like, it's intuitive, but it's very methodical. Like you don't sit here and go like you, I can walk into a space and this is how I more incorporate like my practice of sacred space is like, I can walk in and go like, okay, this is off. I kind of want to move these things around. Like these need to be a little bit like balanced. And then I will look at the feng shui and go, how else do I need to add to the energy of this space? Like what colors, what shapes, what elements, what materials need to be brought in to actually balance the space? That makes sense. So like my sacred space portion is not feng shui, but I do use them in combination sometimes. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Thank you. So what are some ways that the Flying Star Feng Shui, you as a consultant can listen to your client and you can bring more balance of what that client is calling for or that space is calling for and and give it more balance? And I know I've said balance a lot this episode. (laughs) (laughs) You can say it as many as you want. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, there are a few standard practices that happen with flying star feng shui that you just want to have overall in a house. Again, don't freak out if you have any of these. It's just what it is. You you work with it. Like that's really... Yeah. Work with what you have. That's what I love about this is like you have... Absolutely. It's like kind of shadow work a, a little bit. It's like you have to see what you're working with. You have to see the energy available to you in order to understand how you can improve it. If you don't know what it is, then how do you improve it? You're just adding shit without realizing what needs to be where, you know? So like I could tell you, you know, this is how you balance earth. This is how you um, enhance fire and water and all of that. But like, unless you know your energy, it's not going to do any good for you. Okay. So that also touches on the point of what are the different energies and elements of feng shui within your home? And can you tell us what those are? Yes. Yes. I will do that. And then we'll go over some sort and sort of standard practices. So there's uh, earth, fire, water, not air, <laughs> earth, fire, water, and metal and wood. Wow. Okay. Earth, fire, water, metal, wood. So basically they're in a circle. Like there's the productive cycle of it. There's the destructive cycle of how these elements interact together. There's like an enhancing, like calming cycle to it. There are all, all different ways that they can sort of relate. So like wood feeds fire, fire clears earth, earth produces metal, metal give nu- gives nutrients to water, water nourishes wood. Yeah. How cool. Right. And then wood feeds fire, fire clears earth, earth. So it's in a circle, right? All of these things are good. If you do that backwards, it's like wood is burned by fire. Fire is weakened by earth because you put you put fire out like at a campfire with dirt, right? Earth is mined for the for metal. Metal is rusted by water, and water is absorbed by wood, right? And then if we're like controlling or trying to make things like, especially 
so the first cycle, the one where they're, they're feeding each other and clearing each other, that is like what you want to do if you want to enhance an energy. If you're calming it down, right? Like not destruct, not destroying it, but like weakening it, like water is absorbed by wood, right? Then you use that cycle. So I'll explain it all clearer too. But if you want to enhance, then there's, it's, it's kind of counterintuitive, but it's called the controlling or destructive cycle. And that's like wood penetrates the earth, fire melts the earth, earth contains water, metal cuts wood, water extinguishes fire. And that actually creates like a, one of those uh, paganist stars. <laughs> a pentagram? Yeah, pentagram in the center. So it's a circle and then they cross to do it. So we can post this all on Instagram too so that people can see. So I've got a question, Katie. When you're talking about like calming down or balancing energies of the home, does that always have to do with the actual home or does that have to do with the people in the home as well? Um, And do things like landscaping or your view from your kitchen sink or what you see when you look out the back window, do those also influence the space? So what mainly has to do with the people are, so the prosperous energies are standard at this point until 2024 are going to be eight, nine, and one. That's earth as eight, not as two and five, fire, which is nine, and then one, which is water. In 2024, it's just nine and one, that's fire and water. In 2034, that's fire, water, and then two, which is earth again. What What's going to affect the... So those are all the energies that you want to, the eight, nine, and one, and in particular, the nine and one are energies that you want to enhance right now within your home. And if they're not there, then you figure out how to make them appear. So say you have too much of like the fire energy within your home. What are the ways that you balance that out or calm it down? Like what are some of the techniques or items, I suppose, or colors that you bring in to balance it? Well, it's it's hard because you don't want to bring the fire element in and let, I mean, you want to bring it in, but if it's not there, it's not going to be brought in. Like, so the fire element would already inherently exist in a home. And then what you would do is you would enhance it and you would enhance that with by, by adding wood and water to enhance that element. So you could say that you could add like a wood or some type of a sculpture of the element that you are bringing in. Yeah. And wood, other things. So fire is represented by a triangle, red and orange, and then the number nine. Water has no shape to it because it's water. It's represented by the number one and then black. Earth is represented by a square, the most auspicious number in collections of things. So you could put like a collection of eight different things. Is So that's eight. You don't want to use two and five. You want to use eight for earth. You don't want to like substitute by adding things up together. You want that actual number. Yeah. And then those colors are brown and yellow. Wood is represented by a rectangle and the prosperous number there is three. So if you were to do a collection of three things, you could also do like literally three trees. Okay. Yeah. Like, or taller plants, not ferns, but like actual, like taller plants that look like a tree. Um, And then blue and green. Maybe like a ficus. Yeah. A ficus. Yeah blue and green or a yucca or something like that. So blue and green represent wood. Metal is represented by a circle. Um, The prosperous number there is six. And then that is white or actual metal color. You really want to bring in these shapes, these colors, these textures and numbers into your space. 
Well, what you do is you balance it, right? So like, for example, and I have a sunken living room in my house. In the feng shui of it, there was a yin. There's always two options. You look at it. So it's either yin or yang. The space is either yin or yang. And you have to decide if this is a front door, it's got to be yang because people go in and out of that front door. If it's a bedroom, unless the form dictates that it's yang, meaning like the ceilings are 12 foot tall and they're floor to ceiling windows through half of the walls and all the walls are painted white and there are no curtains, like that's a very yang bright space, right? If it doesn't dictate that, like my home, my ceilings are not that tall. Like then my bedrooms by default have to be yin because that's how they're used, right? Sometimes you can mess with it. Like let's say that you have a, and I'll go back to my uh, living room example in a minute, but let's say it's similar. Like, let's say you have a, a five yin, which is not a number that you really want to bring into your house. And then you have a nine, which usually happens in age of eight homes. There's a nine and a five next to each other. So like, for example, that it wasn't in my office, but where I am right now, let's say that was the case. This is, was originally a bedroom, but I made it an office because it had a yang one, right? Which is prosperous. It's my future prosperity. So I want to activate that one because I'm trying to bring success, prosperity, projects, money into my house. So I didn't want this space to be a bedroom. So I changed it. The walls are white. The window's always open. I work in here so that it's active energy. Does that make sense? So for my sunken living room, when I feng shui it, same sort of setup. There was a yin five and a yang nine. So earth and fire. Now, when I bought the home, it was old and there were these lattices outside on the, on the porch so that there was no light coming in the space. It was sunken. It had very dark tile. It was just very heavy. Like you would walk in and it was that, what we were talking about, it was that heavy energy. No light was coming in and there was like sliding glass doors there and it was dark, right? And so what I did is I broke down all the lattice work. I got rid of all of that. I opened up all the windows. I got rid of that, like that type of tile, painted the walls white and I switched it from a yin space and I made it an active space. So I entertain in that space. I sit in that space and work because that's a nine. That is my prosperity right now. Like in two years, less than that is when we're in the age of nine. So I'm working in that space because I'm making stuff happen for me now. And because it was, it's a nine, what I want to do is I want to support that, right? I want to enhance that. So you enhance fire with wood and water. So I put, I have two very long sofas rectangular sofas because wood is represented by rectangle in that space. I have a rectangular green marble coffee table because it's green, which is wood and it's rectangle, which is wood, right? My flooring is black flagstone, but it's randomly laid. Black represents water, which is one. And random placement because there's no shape to it, water, right? So I bring in those elements. And this is why I love doing it with design because it makes it look purposeful. It's not like you're just placing random things. You're making it an integral part of the home. So whoever moves in there, it's balanced. Yeah. So it's kind of like a game. You kind of get to be creative and go, okay, I this space cannot be yin or cannot be yang. I have to make it something else because I want to bring in this energy for them or for myself. Does that make sense? So it's like, it's not as simple as placing things in certain areas in your home. 
but you still have the power to like, okay, I'm bringing this energy in. That Yeah, that makes total sense. Setting these things out to represent this thing that I want, which will hopefully reflect in me so that I can open up in that capacity too, right? A few standard practices, I guess, if people would like to know that. So yes, please. Again, don't freak out, but just keep in mind. Yeah. So in, in traditional feng shui, they like things to feel supported and grounded, right? So they, they imagine like a, like a wall or something taller than you. They see it like the mountain, right? And the mountain supports what's underneath it. It protects and supports it. So when you're sleeping, they like, they don't want you to be, they need the bed to be on a wall. Like it looks really cool for beds to be in the middle of rooms if they're huge rooms, but they like them to be on a wall and they would prefer if that wall not have a window in it, right? So it's actually supported by the mountain, by the wall. Put a bed on a wall that doesn't have a window and it needs to be touching the wall. The same goes for a desk. Now my desk is currently on a wall and there is a window, but that's just because that was the only layout that worked for this space. So that's just how that's going to have to be, but it is supported in some capacity, right? Like my desk is on a wall. It's touching a wall, not a floating desk. Same goes for a stove. They don't like stoves and islands. The stove is like the core, the heart of the home, like where the food is made, where all that happens. So that needs to be supported by a mountain, which means not in an island. I actually did move my stove from an island to a wall. Yeah, my sink is in the island, but not my stove. Don't sleep under beams unless the ceilings are extremely tall. Like unless they're like 10, 12 foot ceilings where it doesn't feel like the pre- like it's pressing down on you, but they don't like to have that energy pressing on you when you're supposed to be recuperating and healing. Yeah, I'm trying to think. So T intersections, again, you can't move your house, but a T intersection, they- Is this like if there's like a stop sign in front of your house? Not like a stop sign, but like, like there's a road and your house is right at where the road would enter. So if somebody stopped, I mean, I guess there is a stop sign, right? But if somebody stopped to turn left or right, but they were to decide to go forward, it would be driving into your driveway, basically. They don't like that because they... So does this pertain to like if you have own a house on a corner as well? Yeah, well, corners, points are sachi. Intense energy going straight from a T-intersection, that's sachi as well, which is like not good energy that you want. I think actually in Hong Kong, there was a building that was built that was pointed and it was not by a Chinese or feng shui practicing. Maybe it was on purpose. I don't remember, but it... I don't think they normally do that, but it was the point hit exactly where like one of the public officials offices was and house was. And like, nobody lives in that anymore. Oh, interesting. Because they're like, nope, bad fun. Like they got sick and they're not doing it. <laughs> you know, Katie, this makes me think that like in every town, there's like a restaurant or a restaurant space that is constantly changing hands and management and shifting into different restaurants. Yep. And does that have to do with the location? Because there's a spot in Denver by DU. And it still doesn't work. It is always a different restaurant for years and years and years. And it's like on the corner of like Bucktail and Evans. And it is always different. Is this bad feng shui? Yeah, they need some feng shui. Is what they need. They need a, a person to come in and do that. Actually, Jen, Jen did that for like a pretty well-known large company around here. I don't know if I want to say it publicly because I don't know. I don't know all the details around it, but it was not successful. It was a flop. When the other one up north was like, great, she went in and it changed just by like opening up spaces because it's different. Like when you're in a home, you want prosperity, you want the yin and you want the yang because you need the success and the money 
but you also need your health and your wellness and all of that. If you're opening a restaurant, you just need like, we're just talking water sign. We're just talking yang. We need people to come in. We need prosperity. We need this. So it's not easier necessarily, but it's like a lot more straightforward because it's like, you're just bringing that in. Unless you're doing something like a wellness center where wellness is a very key integral part of it. You don't have to worry about that in a commercial space. But yeah, I mean, so yeah, Sachi is just like very intense energy coming very fast. And that's what points do. And that's what that intersection does. Even like a really long walk up to your front door. You know, like you'll have the straight ones from the sidewalk all the way through your front yard and up, Sachi. So if you have that in your house, you can put like something red on your door because the red, the fire stops it. So you could put a red square mat. You could put a red something. I mean, it has to be larger than like a little charm, but like you can do something like that that actually helps the stop the flow of it. Yeah. You could put even like, I mean, you could change your walk up or you could put like a plant or something in front that like something that helps block it. Although you don't want to plant in front of your front door. Like you don't want to look out your front door and see like a tree. Just you want clear. So that would also be bad. Yeah, just clear. So in terms of the front door and the energy leading up to it, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Now mine goes in an L, right? You walk from the driveway and then over and then straight back up. But what I also did is I chopped up Whether than it being one long slab, I got a saw cutter to come and just cut it up so that they're long rectangular like stepping stones so that it's like kind of a broken up feeling when you walk. Again, I didn't have sachi because it wasn't long enough and direct enough for that, but I like the energy of it sort of meandering into my home rather than like going straight in. Another thing, and I have this in my house, is uh, when you walk in the front door, you don't want from the front door there to directly be like a window or a door because the energy goes out. Now for me, I do have that. I am going to, at some point, I've been saying this for like two years, I'm g- <laughs> we'll see when it happens, um, when I have time, but I am going to put like a bead. I have an interesting house. And so I'm going to put like a beaded curtain type thing happening there. So that helps block it. But my house also goes down. So like you're on the level and then that sunken room that goes straight out is a sunken living room. And then from there, it goes even further out into the patio. So that down slows the flow of energy too. Does that make sense? So it's not like it's shooting straight out because it's not the same level. It's flowing. Yeah. One of the things that I find really interesting uh, that we have talked about before is the energy of clutter because it's very chaotic, right? Like there's so much energy contained in a closet that is a mess. (laughs) And I'm definitely guilty of having a closet that's kind of a catch-all of clothes and shoes and, you know, athletic equipment and stuff like that. But whenever I go into it, I can never find what I'm looking for. And so if you wouldn't mind, like, tell us a little bit about, like, what kind of energy and Feng Shui having that kind of chaotic energy in your home does. Like, what does that bring to the house, right? I mean, like, from my intuitive, like, sacred portion of what I do, like, yeah, you don't want clutter and energy in that, in your space. You just don't. It's not, it's hard to feel comfortable in a space that has a mess going on. It just is. It's also hard to feel comfortable in a space that's like so clean that you don't want to touch anything. So there's this like happy medium of that. When it comes to feng shui, like, yeah, I mean, you don't want, there's no hard and fast rule about like no clutter. Like I know there was the, whatever um, her name is who. 
uh, Marie Kondo from The Art of Tidying Up. Yes, The Art of Tidying Up. So, I mean, I do love that. I do think that there is something about sort of the methodical nature of like cleaning up and cutting ties and like figuring out what you want in your space in your life and what you don't. But when it comes to feng shui, there is no hard and fast rule about it. Like if you do have a place, if you put a bunch of junk in a room that's just going to stay there and you are trying to have that room be an active yang space, that's not the right spot. Like if you have a room or a closet that's storage, that's just yin, and you for some reason feel the need to, you know, have to have a spot to throw all your stuff, clearing your space, like figuring out what you actually want to inhabit. Like, I think it's sort of also why it was such a hit was because it spreads into your everyday sort of application of, is this something that I want to inhabit my mind, my thought process, or is this something that I need to let go of and clear out? There is something beautiful about that for sure. And I really love that practice of spring cleaning and seasonal cleaning and making room for the energy that is coming and letting go of the things that are have served you in the past season that you can let go of moving forward. That's actually when the when like the new year is like for feng shui is in um usually in February, beginning of February. So that's when you can do your yearly stars, which is like putting, this is where you put like little charms, right? Like this is where you put little charms in certain areas of your home, certain sectors to, to help balance out energies. If you don't know the feng shui of your home, you do not put anything that's going to enhance because you don't want to enhance an incoming yearly energy if that area of your home has a energy that you don't want because what you're going to do is enhance both at the same time. Does that make sense? But what you can do with yearly, I know mine, so I do it if it applies. But sometimes like then there's a nine coming in from like the South sector or Southwest portion. But in that portion of my home, there's a five that I've balanced out. So I'm just going to let the nine just hang out and I'm not going to engage it because I don't want to engage that five. It's balanced. That makes sense. If the five's coming in from the North, then you want to balance the five. And that's what you do in the spring. So like I can definitely, when 2023 happens on our Instagram, maybe we can do a little mini, mini, mini so micro so what we're calling them. Um, micro so a micro dose. Um, <laughs> you love that. I knew you would. <laughs> we can do one of those about the yearly stars and then instruct people on like, this is what you want to put to balance out these incoming energies so that you have a calmer home space coming in. So not only cleaning, but like clearing and balancing out and then calling in. In fact, like personally, I do love the practice for the new year of like having manifestations, but from January until February, I'm working on those. And then in February, it feels like, okay, here is when I'm really putting it out there. Like January is like the internal meditation on like, what do I want? How do I want to bring this in? It's kind of like closing out the year for me, even though in our calendar, it's the beginning, if that makes sense. Yeah, I hear that 100% because as somebody who lives in the mountains, the winter is really long. It's really cold. It's isolating. And by January 1st, when you're supposed to like set your new intentions and all this stuff, it's like... It is exactly the same energy, the cold, you know, not stale or stagnant, but just like that bitter 
standing energy that has not shifted yet. So by the time April comes and the snow is thawing, that's when I feel more alive. Right. There's no real change. So like, I mean, really, I think even culturally we feel that where it's like, you don't start feeling like you're shifting until spring. Yeah. Right. Because winter is about hibernation and going inward. And it isn't until spring when the thing, the the seeds that you have planted during hibernation ha- are starting to come to fruition. So it's such a period of shifting and changing and growing. Yeah. I mean, even in Bazi, that like winter time is my prosperous. It's the best time for me. But I think as for like clutter, <laughs> if you have to have it, you want to put it in the right space in feng shui. So like you're not cluttering a space with stagnant objects if you want the space to be active. You're just not doing that because it's going to negate what you're trying to do. If you have a hall closet that like you just want to throw shit in, make sure that it's a space that needs to be a yin space. And then if you choose to do it that way, that's fine. But like we're talking about at some point, you're going to have to open up that closet because you're going to have to get something it's going to all fall down on you. So Yeah, literally, it's all going <laughs> to fall down. It causes frustration and anger and stress, and there's no one to blame but me. Yeah, I mean, in feng shui, you see the space as a living thing. It's filled with energy. It's not just like this static thing that we're like, okay, this is ours, and like you do what I want you to do. It has its own form of energy that it's putting out. And so you want it to be balanced and calm and prosperous for you. And then you want to be respectful of it too. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. So I think this is a good place to invite our listeners to look at how they feel when they're in their space. What, and then also what you want to feel when you're in that space, because I think that that really like dictates the current status, the, the weather, the atmosphere of your home to shift towards like the changes that you want. Right. And if you're interested in feng shui, reach out to us. Like we're happy to give you all kinds of sources on that information. There's a great book that my, my teacher, Master Jin Stone wrote. So you can find it actually on feng shui by Jin. And it's called the first guidebook for feng shui enthusiasts. It has her old name before, like the last name before she was married, but her name now is Jen Stone. And you know, reach out to us too. I, she, is the, she is the chosen master for the US from her master, who he teaches us a handful of people all throughout Asia. He lives in Hong Kong. She grew up in Hong Kong. So she was taught like by him and he chose her, yeah, to because she lived here and she's obviously like a, a very smart person. And he was like, yeah, you're the one that's going to bring my school to the U.S. So she is extremely, I mean, I know what I know, but she is the wealth of knowledge on this topic. So again, if you reach out via DM or comment on our comment section, anything about this, we're happy to help. Either I can answer your question or if I can't, we can all guide you in the right direction to find an answer. So one of the takeaways I want to give our listeners is that if there isn't good chi and flow and harmony and energy within your home, figure out what it takes 
to find that. And I know it's not intuitive uh, for everyone, right? But seek some help. Look online. Figure out, like, when you walk into a space, like, what is it you don't like? What is it you want more of? What is it you want less of? And contact somebody like Katie to see what you can do to bring that in. Because where you live and how you feel in your home, I think, is, like, one of the most important things ever. And maybe it's because I'm a homebody and a Taurus and I work from home and I don't like leaving home very often. And the fact that I am an interior designer. Right. Feed into that. And learning how to like tap into your intuition too, which again is like different than feng shui, but it's can be an integral part of it. What does the space need? Does should the bed be against the wall because I've put it in the center of the room? Yeah, let me do that and actually see if I sleep better. Having a bed in the center of the room actually sounds like a nightmare scenario to me. I know. I mean, I love, look, girl, I love it when I see those spaces where you're like, this is a hotel room and they have the little like half wall in the back and there's a cool desk. And then you walk down the steps and ta-da, there's this bed that's against this half wall that also functions as a desk. And then look at this beautiful view. Like, I love all of that, but I don't think I'd want to live permanently in that space. Visit, sure, but not live. I want to feel supported. Thank you so much to my beautiful co-host today for sharing her wealth of knowledge of all things Flying Star Feng Shui. And as always, listeners, if you have any comments or questions about today's episode, please reach out. As with anything, if you're interested in this topic, do some research into it. Like, Look further into it. The one thing that I personally don't like is when people say that they practice things and don't do it properly, you know? So this is basically an overview of kind of how it's applied and what to do, but there is so much more to this practice that it it does take a certification and time invested to be able to call yourself a practitioner. Even I sometimes struggle with that title, which, you know, is sometimes my own internal um, thing. And then also just me having full respect for, you know, there's a limited amount of knowledge that I have on this. Well, it's a really sacred practice. So just, it gets a very ancient technique. It's powerful. Be respectful of it, I guess, is what I'm saying. With great power holds great responsibility. <laughs> uh, so, and into the magic tradition. Uh, Katie, do you want to take us out? Let's let's stay in the magic. Stay weird, stay funky, stay cool. Find the magic in your living space and in your home. Yeah, in your living space. That's what she wanted me to say, guys. <laughs> Katie, I was like trying to like, <laughs> she's like, Katie, telepathically. Did you not read my mind? <laughs> yeah, I was like <laughs> trying to telepathically communicate with you what I wanted you to say with a leading question, and you didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> We got to keep this part. Um, Yeah, but no, really find the magic there (laughs) and the harmony and the balance. Until next time, listeners, stay in the magic.